There are so many graduation celebrations this weekend, and we want to congratulate the students, the parents, the grandparents. Let's give it up. That is a team effort and incredible milestone. We thank God for his provision in so many ways. Also, we have Christian Sarah Rico with us. Can you go ahead and stand up? I didn't see where you were sitting, but can you go ahead? There we go, right in back over here, all the way from Latin America. Make sure to meet them in the lobby or Saturday. God is doing a great work through the Jesus film. Many people are coming to know the Lord, and we are partnering together, Auburn, Latin America, together, and seeing changed lives. Also today, once a month, we have our elders that are available for prayer at the end of the message, and they will be up front. It's an opportunity to come if you sense a need for restoration or healing in your life. This is from James chapter 5 in the Bible. Very clear, God says, have the elders ready to pray with people, anoint with oil, and it's an incredible time of prayer. God has moved powerfully through this time of prayer. Prayer is refreshing. I'm going to say prayer is, and you say refreshing. Prayer is? I'll say one more time. Prayer is? It really is to the soul. So let's enter into prayer together. This series, Refresh, coming from the Psalms. We're in Psalm 29 today. You can open up your Bible. If you need a Bible, let us know. Find it on your phone. We're going to focus on the voice of the Lord. Listening to the voice of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you communicate with us because you care about us. And you also, God, want to be known and we want to know you. Thank you for the ways you reveal yourself in our lives and through scripture. God, we thank you how you guide us and you grow us. And Father, we want to go right where you're leading us. We, we want in our hearts and minds to agree and align with you fully today and to offer ourselves in worship. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Psalms are prayers and they are songs. They are authentic cries of the heart, an expression with freedom, deep calling out to deep. In the Psalms, you'll see that they're relational. We are drawing close to the living God. We want to grow closer to God. Whoever writes the Psalm is processing life, processing with their mind and their heart and their faith. You're probably thinking through a lot of things right now that happened this last week. And as you pour out your heart to God and you listen to God, God is going to lead and guide. The tone of this Psalm 29 is one of great praise and gratitude and thanks. Celebrating the powerful voice of God. There's no voice like the voice of God. There's one voice above all other voices. We have a culture with so many voices, so many people's opinions and so much venting going on. Everyone's talking, but who's listening? We want to listen to God. Oftentimes, we're not listening to God. We're busy. We're distracted. We're focused on our own plans. It's so easy to not listen to God. We have things we want to say. We have things we just want in life. And with those thoughts and plans, sometimes we tune out God. And we can listen to other people too much. What did you say? Oh, 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 how can I make it work for you? What do you want? Oh, how can I please you? What do you all want? Oh, then let me do that. Instead of, God, what do you want? What is God really saying? What is God actually saying to us individually as a church family today? Who's listening to God in a busy culture? This is a psalm about the voice of the Lord. 
And it begins with a call to praise. David writes in verse one, ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In a land of idolatry, in a land of preferences, in a land of me first, in a land of pride, David steps up and says, worship the Lord. This is a call to praise God. And the writing here in Hebrew is one of poetry. I know sometimes when we think of poetry, we think of rhyming, but it doesn't read like a rhyme for us. But poetry includes uh, parallelism. It includes repetition. There's a symmetry to this writing that's beautiful in the original language. Repetition is a common theme in scripture. In the writing, there's repetition. In songs, there's repetition. In declaration, there's repetition. The prophets bring a message from God with repetition. God often goes to repetition, whether it's music or scripture. Why does he say, holy, holy, holy? Why does the repetition come? We need repetition because repetition amplifies what's most important. Repetition enlarges the truth in our minds and in our hearts. Repetition gets our attention and we linger there. We dwell there. Repetition brings clarity. Repetition is strong and emphatic and repetition can help move us because sometimes we're stubborn. And maybe I'm the only one that needs to hear things a few times and be reminded a few times before I move where the Lord wants me to move. God uses repetition to break through our stubbornness. We are made, we are designed to worship God. We also need to be moved to worship God. Just because you're designed to worship God doesn't mean that you'll actually worship God. And when God says, ascribe, 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 ascribe to the the Lord, the glory to his name, it should move us and remind us that we are made to worship and God is worthy of our praise. That's where it starts in this psalm. God is worthy to get caught up in awe and wonder. Creation praises God. We praise God. The angels praise God. God is on the throne. God is in the center. He is worthy. God is worthy of our full praise, not our partial praise. He is worthy because of who he is. He is worthy because all of his things he's done, the things he's doing right now, and the things he will do. God is worthy because of his character. God's track record is perfect. He is holy, he is patient, he is kind, he is loving, he is eternal. God is self-existent. Meaning, God doesn't need us in any way. If you're walking around thinking, God sure needs me. (laughs) Boy, does he ever need me. You're not really worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. God doesn't need anyone in this room. No one in this room helped God exist. No one in this room sustains God. No one in this room is going to guide God into the future. No, we are the ones who depend on God for every breath, every heartbeat, every day our mind, our heart, our emotions work right. We are constantly depending on God. 
Sometimes our pride wants to fool us and because God blesses us in different ways and gifts us, we start thinking, well, maybe I don't need God. Maybe I am kind of self-sufficient. Maybe I do have life figured out. In our head grows and in our pride, we push God away and say, maybe I don't need to worship God so much because look at everything I can do. Well, we're made in God's image. We're designed to worship God and to give him glory. And so don't let his blessings block your worship. God is the one who's self-existent. He's worthy of our praise. And to try to remove those facts leads to idolatry. The idolatry is foolishness and a nation deteriorates when there's idolatry. So this is a call in the nation and it's called to individuals to worship God because worship is personal and it's also national. It's global. Uh, worship is special. Worship is relational. Worship is sacred. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Praise God, listen to God. Your listening is worship. Don't just bring lists to God. God, here's my list, bless it, bless it, bless it. Yes, it's good to bring your request to God. It's okay to have prayer requests, but don't just bring lists. Take time to listen to God. What is God actually saying this morning? Worship is all about how we respond to God and worship is all about what we really want the most in life. Your worship reveals what you really want in life. If you want God's presence, then you come to him with thanksgiving and praise. You enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. If you're not interested in God's presence, there won't be a lot of thanksgiving and gratitude and there won't be a lot of praise because if you're gonna draw near to God, you enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. He's the king of kings. Your desire for God is revealed in your praise. If you don't really want God's presence that much, there won't be that much praise and worship. Because praise and worship makes room in our hearts and lives for God and his greatness and his glory. When you want God, you start to praise God. Your view of God is revealed in your praise. We all have a view of God today. It's revealed in our worship. Well, what does that mean? If you think God is great sometimes, most of the time, and then kind of so-so sometimes, well, that's gonna lead to a half-hearted worship. If your view of God is he's kind of ancient, he's kind of older, you can kind of, I don't know, you can fool him a few times, you can play games, then what are you gonna do? You think you're gonna trick God. You're gonna walk around feeling all clever, trying to trick God around worship and praise. If you feel like you're big and God's small, then your praise will be very casual. The quickest way to casual praise is just get Big on you and small on God. Small on God, casual praise. Big on you, casual praise. You don't have to announce where you are. Your worship reveals your view of God. Who is God? How do we respond to God? Worship includes our Monday mornings. Worship includes when no one's looking. Worship includes our talent, our time, our treasure. Worship includes our affection. It is our response to the goodness and greatness and presence of God. Say, well, is it okay to really fully worship God in a culture that's so casual about God's presence? That's so kind of lukewarm about God's presence? Is it okay to fully just go for it? 
Abraham and Sarah, they worship God. And their worship, it includes obedience. Because God says, leave this place right here. And by faith, they left. They are seasoned. They're not in the age of traveling and starting over. But worship includes obedience. All in obedience to God. That's what we see. Moses comes near to that burning bush that keeps burning and and keeps talking. And he takes off his shoes because it's holy ground. Worship includes reverence. You don't have to take off your shoes today, but worship absolutely includes reverence. David started to dance before the Lord. His wife was so ticked that he was celebrating. She didn't understand that worship includes joyfulness. There's joy in the presence of the Lord. Again, you don't have to take off your shoes like Moses and dance like David today. I'm not saying that's prescriptive, but I am saying that there's reverence and there's joy in worship. Solomon brought so many sacrifices in the time of worship that people were thinking, you know, do you really need to bring all these animals, all these sacrifices But yes, worship does include sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice, but worship includes sacrifice. Well, what else when you think of worship? There's a widow in the Bible. She puts in her two coins. Jesus says she's put in all she has to live on. Does worship include finances? Yes, your worship includes finances. Show me in the Bible, you say, I'll worship you, God, but don't touch my finances. That verse doesn't exist. Uh, Well, what else? The woman with the alabaster jar, it's expensive perfume. She's gonna anoint Jesus. Jesus is close to his death and then his resurrection. She gets criticized for going all out in worship, but she pours out the alabaster jar. Why? Because she wants to honor the Lord. He's gonna die for our sins. No one's giving him honor. He gives us forgiveness. No one gives him the honor he deserves. I will pour out my alabaster jar even if the critics come. I will give him honor. Give him praise. What about Peter? Peter was catching fish. Well, what do you do if you like your job and then Jesus says, new job, new calling? You see, worship includes the leadership of the Lord. You you don't worship God and say, I'm gonna be calling the shots, but let me worship you. I'm gonna lead this the way I wanna lead it, but let me worship you. Well, Well, that's not worship. What about Paul? He goes public. He hated Jesus. He hated followers of Jesus. But in his worship, he said, I'll go public. I'll publicly lead people to you. I'll publicly share the gospel. I won't stay private. I will go public with my faith. Why? Because worship includes going public with your faith. Stephen died. Stephen was a martyr. And what did he do? He worshiped Jesus to his last breath. Worship means I'm gonna follow you no matter what the cost. You see, who really wants to worship God this morning? Worship is so far beyond a song. It is so far beyond this building. And what I see in the scriptures is that most people wanna play it safe, kinda wanna cultural, casual worship, but then there's some people in every nation and generation that rise up and worship God with their obedience and their affection and their passion, no matter the cost, and they're all in. And what I don't see in scripture is God saying, you know, that's a little too much. You know, 
I'm not worthy of that. You know, that kind of love, that kind of devotion, trusting me as leader, bringing that money and those sacrifices, I'm not really worthy of that. What I see is religious people rise up and say, hey, calm down. Hey, don't dance so much. Hey, quit getting so excited about God. Hey, don't give him praise. You call the shots. You're smart. You got a degree. You know where your life should go. I see religious people doing that. But I see in the Bible the call to praise for a nation is to worship the God. God who made this nation. This is not just a call to praise to start this psalm. Like, oh yeah, how did the psalm start? Oh, call to praise. What would sound good? What if we say a scribe a few times? Hey, yeah, let's do some poetry and write a scribe. That is not the call in this passage, and it's not the call in our lives. If so far in two verses you realize you've just shrunk and twisted worship into something weird and kind of selfish, then it might be time to just get on your knees and repent today and worship the living God. Worship God. That's the first call. It's a call to our hearts to praise and worship God. You say, well, why am I going to worship God? Then David continues with a cause for praise. Look at verse 3. We focus on the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. This is a psalm about the voice of the Lord and the context and setting is nature. There are several psalms that really highlight how God works in creation. Psalm 8, starting in verse 1 Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. It continues. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Now, again, the psalmist talking about the heavens. In the Bible, there's three heavens. There's a level of the clouds. Then there's the greater where the sun and moon and stars are. And then there's beyond, the third heaven where God's throne is. What he's saying is that at night when I see the stars and I see the moonlight, God, it all declares your glory. I'm in awe and wonder. When I step outside and I lift up my eyes and eyes are up at night, I look up and I think how great and majestic is our God. Well, what about during the day? Psalm 19, again, expressing through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, talking about the sun, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. During the daytime, when I just look at the sun, and we do see the sun some months here in Seattle, and, and when that sun comes out, or we say the mountain's out, and, and we look at God's creation and beauty, we can't help but notice 
the goodness of God. See, David was outside a lot. He was a shepherd. Some of you are outside a lot. You like gardening. You like to go for walks. You see the lakes. We have so much beauty in the Pacific Northwest. All of this beauty in creation is pointing us to our benevolent creator. And so take it in. Take it in. In this psalm, there's trees, mountains, animals, weather, science. John Calvin says it this way. It's a diabolical science, however, which fixes our contemplations on the works of nature and turns them away from God. Now, God is evident in creation, his presence and his power. But there will be people who try to deny that and just treat science or nature or creation of the mountains on their own. They'll try to remove the credit for the creator and they'll sometimes even worship creation. Or they'll taint it and say, well, there was just this random, big boom. Come on. Like, there's intelligent design everywhere. God made us intelligent. Like, when my kids make a Lego design, it doesn't just boop, 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 boop. You know, the wind and a couple Legos fell, and then they just landed together. It was one just, wow, crazy, cyclic, cyclic thing that just circled around and landed. No. Like, yes, science, 100%. 100% science. But I'm just saying science should point us to God. Science should lead us to the worship. How our bodies are made. It's not accident or random. Animals. It's not accident or random. The, The orbits. How far we are from the sun. This is all the finger work of God. And we should be in awe. And then his voice. Seven times we read in these verses, the voice of the Lord. Seven is the number of completeness in the Bible, like thunderclaps in a storm. It just keeps coming. The voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. God's voice speaks, and to individuals and to the nation at that time. Some people have a hard heart around God's voice. They don't like what God's saying. But let's humble ourselves as God speaks David would step up in his palace, and from his palace, he could see mountains in the north. He could see the Mediterranean Sea to the west, the Sea of Galilee to the east. He could see the wilderness to the south. He could see the storms play out, and he's watching what's happening. When we read about these trees, the cedars of Lebanon, they grew to 120 feet high, circumference 30 feet. And again, what's happening? Flames of fire, lightning's coming. In Exodus, we have the 10 plagues. Exodus chapter nine, verse 23. We read, when Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. He was getting people's attention by his mighty power in creation that they would humble themselves, seek and honor and return to God. In this storm, the lion roars. The lion roars in nature. The lion of Judah, evident in the storm. Hearts melt. Hearts realized we are not at the center of creation. We do not call all the shots. We have a maker who rules and reigns. And it humbles us because we realize that at any minute he could just zap or wipe out all the sinners. But he's not like that. He sent his son Jesus to die for us and he cares and he redeems. And though even though we don't deserve it, God gives forgiveness and a pardon that's full. And it reminds us that he's patient and kind. His wrath is real, but his mercy is great. 
And we come and we worship God. He's worthy. We worship the Lord. Yes, there's storms. And yes, God does communicate through storms. In the Bible, God communicates through situations. God communicates through prophets and different people. God can communicate and does through a donkey. God can have the rocks talk. God can have the rocks praise him. Jesus said, if we stay quiet, the rocks will praise him. The the trees, they honor him. God communicates in so many different ways to us. He communicates obviously through Jesus who is God, human and God. God communicates through the Holy Spirit who is God. God dwells in you when you put your trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit communicates. God communicates in many ways. The clearest way that we have is God's word. God knows that we get confused. God knows we need clarity. So he wrote it down. God's word, 66 books. When you're listening to God, when you spend time in the word, God's gonna talk to you because these are his words. This is what he's saying. So when you go to listen to God, go into the word with a heart and mind and spirit that's ready to receive. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Make sure it's God when you make your plans. Make sure it's God's voice. In my experience, in a lot of years at church, now I didn't grow up in church, but there's a lot of talk about God and it's not always his voice. There's a lot of plans that aren't coming from God. That didn't come from God. Now, sometimes it's really twisted and manipulative and someone knows it's not from God and they'll try to put something on it like, I prayed about it. That's the classic line. The second one is, well, the Holy Spirit told me and they know it's so off base. It doesn't even line with scripture, but they try to use this trump card like, well, I prayed about it or the Holy Spirit told me and well, if it doesn't align with the word, the Holy Spirit didn't tell you, okay? So some people really, they're manipulative and they use that kind of language. But most of the time when it's amiss, it's well-intentioned. It's well-intentioned. It's people who love God and they're trying to do the right thing on one level. You say, well, what gets in the way? There's three things that get in the way. Preferences, traditions, and perceptions, Preferences get in the way. We all want a lot of things. And just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you stop wanting things. We all really want things. There are things in your life that you want, 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 want. In fact, these preferences are so strong, one temptation is to say, well, I think God wants it too. If I want it this much, God must want it. No, that was your preference, not God's will. Well, what about traditions? The classic line is, we've always done it this way. Well, is God in it that way? It was great in 78, but we're not in 1978. So, now there's some traditions, always be there. Communion, yes. Baptism, yes. Like, uh, traditions are rich. The danger with traditions is that you can hold on to traditions that are no longer for today. And now what's happening? Well, God's saying it, but we're not gonna do it because this is how we've always done it. And then churches start to die because they're trying to hold on to a certain year. 1954, 1998, 2005. Don't change a single method. Well, we're not relevant right now. That doesn't matter. We gotta keep all our traditions, right? So those get in the way sometimes. Or here's another one, culture. I'll say, well, how, what is God saying? 
Well, this is what my culture does. Well, what is God saying? Well, this is what my culture does. Well, who's king? Is it Jesus or your culture? If your culture doesn't line up with scripture, then drop the culture. Your culture isn't Trump, it's God. It's God. So again, preferences, culture, uh, traditions, and then also perceptions. All of us just have limited views and wisdom. And for all of us, we can look back five years later and say, you know what, I missed that one. In the time we were so convinced, like this has to go this way, just like this, exactly. And then we look back three years later and go, maybe that wasn't the best way. Have you ever done that or is that just me? 20 years later, you're almost like, what was I thinking? Why was I so stubborn on that? Why? Because perceptions, you were sincere, but your perceptions are so limited. So these are reminders, preferences get in the way, traditions, perceptions. And what happens? We push God's voice out of the way and we get overconfident and we say, my way, my plan. How did God create through his voice? Genesis chapter one, in verse three, God spoke it. He could have created in so many ways, but he, what did he do? It's through his word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. When God says, let there be light, light isn't gonna stop from coming. Let there be light. And here's light. What else did God say in Genesis 1? And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the vault of the sky. He said it and the animals came. Genesis 1, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, and each according to its kind, and it was so. When you take a drive and you look at the land and the animals and the beauty, why does this all exist? Because God said it, the voice of the Lord. He spoke it. And then Jesus speaks it. He speaks it. There's demons in people. Jesus says, leave, and the demons leave. Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Jesus rebukes it, and the fever leaves. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus says, come forth, and Lazarus is alive again, so take off the grave clothes. The word of the Lord, the voice of God. John chapter 10, Jesus said he is the good shepherd. His sheep know his voice. How well do you know the voice of Jesus. How close in the morning, during the week work, when there's conflict at home, how well do you know the voice of Jesus? Not just during a sermon, because 30, 40 minutes a week, that's not, that's not the hearing that you need. Listening to the voice of Jesus. God's voice is over all because God is over all. He's over creation, he's over angels, he's over mankind, and he's over the false gods. When we talk about the voice of the Lord, we talk about this storm and what's happening, here's the real battle. Here's the real battle. The Canaanites believe that their false god is the god of the mountains. No, our God made the mountains and he's over the mountains. The false god Baal. People worship Baal and they say Baal is the god of rain and of storms. Baal has the final say. Oh no, he doesn't. That's why Elijah had got the other prophets of Baal together on the mountain and he called down fire. That's why in James chapter five, the Bible says Elijah, just like us, he prayed and there was rain. He prayed and there was no rain. Well, what's going on there? Is that just a cool trick that Elijah's doing? 
You know, pray for rain. All right, rain. Pray for no rain. All right, no rain. Is that just the prophet praying for, you know, he's just tired of the rain in Seattle and he wants no rain? Like, what's really driving this? No, here's what's really going on in James chapter five. The people of the day in Elijah's time think Baal controls the rain. And so when Elijah prays for rain and there's rain, it's Elijah's God who controls the rain. When Elijah says the rain's over and the rain's over, it's Elijah's God who controls the rain. When Elijah prays, send the fire and the fire comes, it's Elijah's God that sends fire from heaven. It's not focused on the rain or Elijah or the prophet. It's focused on the God who has control. That's what's happening in the land. There's both sadness and comedy with some of these idols. And maybe you feel that in our culture today. It's like, it's kind of sad. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Uh, Dagon was a god, false god. And then there was the ark of the living God. They stole the ark, those idol worshipers who worship Dagon. They brought the ark into the temple of Dagon next to the statue of Dagon. In Dagon's temple, what happened? They went to bed, they woke up the next morning, and when they woke up, this little statue of Dagon had fallen over. That wasn't the wind, that wasn't off balance. You put a statue of Dagon next to the ark of the living God. Well, they said, coincidence, no big deal. They went to bed the second night. They came back the second night. And when they woke up the second night, Dagon had fallen over again. Only this time, he didn't just fall over this little statue and idol, but now his head's off and his hands are off. And they start to realize, maybe that wasn't no wind. Maybe there's something bigger going on. And then as they worshiped Dagon, tumors broke out on the people. And then they said, send the ark back. We're done messing with the real God. Because our God, Dagon, doesn't have any power. This is who our God is. He shows himself mighty. Armageddon is real. There's a battle in the end times. Yes, there's gonna be literal physical armies. But do you know what the really end times is about? Yes, there's an antichrist. Yes, that's gonna happen. Yes, the devil gets thrown in the lake of fire. But in this battle of Armageddon, you know what happens? It's really not just about armies coming against Jesus. It's really about all the false gods that are worshiped coming against Jesus. And with one word, he befells them all. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Don't mess with syncretism or relativism. He rules and reigns, and every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, David's explaining we've got a cause. We've got a reason to praise God. This isn't just religious services. This is a reason to praise the greatness of the living God. And then it leads to a culture of praise. There's a call to praise. There's a cause and a reason to praise. And then when praise starts to happen, it leads to a culture of praise. In Psalm 29, verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. No one can stop that reality. Jesus Christ is the king of kings forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Now, this is how God works. He works in hearts, then he works in homes, he works in churches, and then he works in the nation. And the sequence is important. If the hearts don't worship God, there won't be worship and thankfulness in the home. 
You can have one person in the home say, we're gonna worship God here. And if the hearts aren't there, there won't be praise and worship in the home. You can have one person say, we're gonna seek God. But if the hearts aren't there, there won't be prayer at home. There won't be scripture reading at home. There won't be a spiritual hunger at home because it starts with the heart. When the hearts are for God and praise God, then the home transforms. Now the home is a place of worship. The home is a place of growing spiritually. The home is a place of discipleship. The home is a place of evangelism. People come into the home, they come to know Jesus. Why? Because the home is transformed. It starts with the hearts, then it moves to the home. When you have hearts and homes, it'll lead to healthy churches. You can't have healthy churches if the homes and the hearts aren't there. If the homes and the hearts aren't there, we just got a bunch of people going through the routine of showing up on Sunday morning and trying to act spiritual. You can't compartmentalize faith into one building or one hour. It starts with the hearts and then it goes to the homes. And when it's in the hearts and the homes, then the church. You lead your child primarily, the church is secondary. And then what happens after that? When the churches are vibrant, it's an overflow because it can't stay in the walls of the church. And now it's going locally and it's going globally. You see, you, you won't have a nation that returns to God if the churches are a mess. So it's the hearts, then it's what's next, the homes. And then what's next? The churches get healthy. And then what happens? The nation changes. There's a call to the nation in this passage, but there's a call to the individual because it starts with the heart. The voice of the Lord in your heart. That's where it starts. Don't stop or quench the Holy Spirit. See, the question in a culture of praise is who is the king? Who is the head? Who is leading? That's at the core of our faith. Who's leading my heart? Who's leading our home? Who's leading the church? When the Lord Jesus leads and I abide, there's much fruit. But apart from him, we can't do it. We can't do it. Mark chapter four, because we've been reading about a storm in nature and worship and the voice of the Lord. There's a furious squall that came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. He's taking a nap during the storm, a non-anxious presence. Someone's trust in the father. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Just assuming the worst. Religious people that are panicked and assuming the worst, projecting it on Jesus. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still, the voice of the Lord. Then the wind died down and its waves uh, completely calm. It was completely calm. So what does this tell us? Sometimes God will remove the storm and bring relief. You know right now, storms don't last. This too shall pass. Maybe you've had some storms and you prayed and God removed the storm and brought you relief. But Psalm 29 also tells us that sometimes the storms remain and God wants us to walk through it. And what's the reason? Because he wants to refine. Some storms remain so that he refines. Some storms he removes and brings relief. But either way, Jesus is in charge. You can trust the Lord at all times. There's a process here in this storm in Psalm 29. The people are half-hearted in worship. The people are distracted. The people are well-intentioned. They're not really listening to God. They're religious. There's idolatry in the land. So God brings a storm to uproot the people 
and that's uncomfortable, to replant them in good soil with deep roots. God will use a storm to change and shift things in your life, both internal and situational. God, God allows some storms. God hates sin. So don't call every storm from God because when Cain kills Abel, that's not from God. That's not. So he's against some, he allows some, he causes some. And there's discernment because there's a range in the storms. But in all storms, we're gonna trust God and abide with Jesus. Again, not my list, but I'm listening to God. At the heart of this is the fear of the Lord. Reverence, respect, and the highest honor for God. You don't hear a lot of talk in our land about respecting and honoring or even the fear of the Lord. But if you miss the fear of the Lord and you skip it, things will go sideways, there will be chaos, there will be deception, there will be tricks going on, there'll be lying going on, there'll be sneaking going on, there'll be private sins going on, people will be stressed out. When you drop the fear of the Lord, all these other things come pouring in. God calls us out of paganism and worshiping false gods. He calls us out of humanism and self-reliance and ignoring God. And he calls us out of relativism, saying that there's, oh, there's no morality. It's just all the same in the land. No, there's right and wrong. God makes it clear. And God calls us to surrender because worship is surrender. People return to God when they hear his voice. This is what doesn't work. God, I want my plans and your peace. Not gonna get that. God, these are my plans we're gonna do and I want your peace while I do them. It's not gonna work. Here's no, it's not gonna work. God, I'm gonna do everything my way and I'm gonna have your strength. Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. This is how it works. God, I surrender it all to you. And when I do that, your peace and strength come flooding in. How many people in this room are wrestling with God? God, my way, my plans and just bless it with your strength and peace. And everyone around you knows, no, it's chaotic, you're stressed out, like you're all over the place. Why? Because you're trying to squeeze your will instead of saying, God, I surrender everything to you and doing it God's way. What happens at the end of this passage? Look at that last verse. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. If you're always listening to people's voices, including your own, my voice, my family's voice, the culture's voice, voices online. If you're always listening to people's voices, you're gonna miss the voice of the Lord. You gotta start with God's voice. And the call here is to return. The call here is restoration. And the invitation at the end of this message is to turn to God, to put your trust in Jesus, to step out of religion. You've heard the voice of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That means Jesus, we receive it, we don't achieve it. Jesus earned salvation. Jesus keeps it by the promise and the word of God. We don't, we can't perform it and sustain it. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus today, you're not born again, today's the day. Make it so clear. I wanna follow Jesus. Today's the day. You make your decision and then I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna invite the elders right now to come forward and in front, they're gonna be available for prayer. I'm also uh, inviting Prayers of restoration. Does your body need restoration today? That's why the elders are coming forward.
you got something going on with your body and you've gone to the doctor and maybe you have some medicine, maybe those are good things or helping in some ways, physical therapy is helping in some ways, but you know that you need more than just that medicine. You know that you need God's touch and restoration today. In your thinking, in your body, maybe it's in a relationship that you know you need God's restoration today. The voice of the Lord. You need his voice, you need his touch, you need his presence, you need his love. Come and surrender and say, God, I need you. I need you. Let's stand up and worship right now and let's lift this time up to God. Father, we thank you for being with us. We thank you for communicating to us through your word and your spirit. God, we pray right now for a time of restoration. God, your voice is always good and you always call us to yourself. You always have wisdom. Thank you, Holy Spirit, how you lead us. And God, may this be a time of restoration physical and emotional relationships restored right now, God. We pray for anyone who's making first-time decisions to follow you, God, that they would make a clear decision that, Jesus, you'd be the Lord of their lives. Bless this time of prayer as we seek you together in Jesus' name.